all came here today with something we need. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe a job situation. Maybe we need physical healing or maybe emotional healing. We may be here today and not even know what we need or realize that there is something deep down that we need, but we all have something. And maybe deep down you hoped by coming in this room, by being in a church today, that you'd get an answer, a touch, a feeling. And I hope you do. I hope the Lord does speak to you and touch you and give you that answer. But I'm not sure the correct question to ask is, will God do something significant in our lives to address our needs. Why do I say that? Because God is good, and He will accomplish goodness in our lives in one way or another. So that's not the question. The answer is yes, God will do something in our lives significant. But I think a better question to ask is what will be my response? To his goodness. God is good. God will be good. God cannot do anything but be good. The question we must ask, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do to worship him, to praise him, to honor him, to glorify him? What am I going to do? Because God is good. What's my response? You see, we must only reflect for a moment and we will see God's goodness. We'll see his hand in our lives. Jesus is here working for our good. He's there with you working for your good. We Christians can look back and in hindsight we, we can certainly see that it's 2020 vision looking backwards and we can see God and his goodness and if he's been good in the past, he'll be good again and again and again. But I appeal to those of you who may be here who do not yet know the hand of the Lord in your life. He's there. Even the breath you breathe in this moment is a gift from God Almighty. It's a goodness in your life. And he has brought you to this moment. And you need to hear the message from his word today. We all need to hear this message. Jesus gives, but what do I do with the goodness he's given? Today and in the next two weeks as well, we're going to camp out in Luke 17 and 18, and we're going to see his goodness we're going to see the goodness of Jesus, and we're going to see how people responded to it, and we will weigh the right way and the wrong way people responded. And we will see that some responded with gratitude, and some walked away unappreciative. My prayer is that you and I and we will respond 
to Jesus' goodness with a grateful heart. And we will rediscover the lost art of gratitude in our own lives. Would you read with me Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 9? We see a story here that I think will open our eyes to gratitude. And if you're able today, physically, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word? While traveling to Jerusalem, Jesus, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when they saw, when he saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. While they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He praised him. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner, except this Samaritan? And he told him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What we see in this short little story, maybe even familiar to you, if you grew up in church or around church at all, you've likely heard this story of these 10 men with leprosy and that one came back and the rest went on their merry way after they were all cleansed. But I hope to dig down into this today to help us all see not where we can look at 10 men, well, they should have been thankful, shame on them, but we can look at our own hearts and see where do I need to improve in my gratitude? Where do I need to understand what God has done for me and respond appropriately to him? Where do I need to grow? What kind of faith am I displaying, exuding? That's my heart, is that we would all have this understanding of we all need to be grateful to God and what he's done in our lives. We see four things in this passage that I think will guide our thoughts and help us to dive down and understand this text even more. Number one, everyone wants something. Everyone wants something. As we've already noted this morning, you are here likely with a need, something you need someone to touch in your life and change in your life, and perhaps you came seeking that answer today. But I would say that we all have not only needs, but wants. We want something, and we live in a society and a world that wants. We want it all. We want it all. We see here 10 guys who had a huge need, a huge need. Their life was turned upside down the moment they, were, they got this disease, this skin disease, this leprosy, this leprous disease. They were outcasts, sent to the edge of the city. They had to stand by the gates and beg people for food and money and sustenance. They couldn't even be around their own family members. Their lives were completely turned upside down, and they were at a place where they knew ideal, they knew completely, they knew, they understood fully and completely that they could not do anything to get the thing they needed on their own. They were at their wit's end. They were at the end of their ropes. 
proverbial and, proverbially and literally at the end of their robes. Before this encounter, if you read the beginning of the chapter, you would see that there were 12 guys. Jesus was surrounded by them, the apostles, uh, who would become the apostles, the disciples, his followers, these men that lived their lives with Jesus day in and day out for three and a half years. And they had a need as well. And they said to Jesus, increase our faith, increase our faith. Help us to have more faith. This encounter with these 10 leprous men gives them a very vivid example of how they could have faith themselves. You see, Jesus often used examples, physical examples, to address spiritual needs. These disciples had a spiritual need, increase our faith. We want to have more faith. And their spiritual need was met vividly in picture by Jesus helping someone with their physical need and in turn helping with their spiritual need as well. Jesus tells them that faith comes from by doing what is right and expected and in this encounter we see 10 men with leprosy. Jesus is walking toward Jerusalem and as Jesus often does he takes a uh, an unexpected way, an unexpected road. It said he was somewhere between Samaria and Galilee. We don't give the exact location because Luke wasn't as concerned about that as he was about what was happening in this moment. But what we see is that because he was in this intersection of, of geographic locations of Samaria and Galilee, there were uh, Jews nearby and there were Samaritans nearby. They were both in and out because he was in this intersection, in this uh, intermediary uh, type of place. Jesus walks along and enters a town and as, as was common, finds people there sitting at the city gates begging. Not only were, would that have been people with leprosy or other skin diseases, but it would have been people in destitution or perhaps blind, mute, people who needed something. They were uh, set out at the city gates. And Jesus walks this road intentionally to show his disciples something amazing about how they could uh, increase their faith. And you and I will see that as well, that we can increase our faith. The Samaritan uh, just in case you're not up on your geography, they were a people in, the, in your uh, in demographics of different people. Samaritans were a, a, a group of people that came out of a, a relationship where, um, where Jews and uh, Gentiles mixed and created this new group of people. So they were called half-breeds as an as a insult to them. They were insulted uh, by Jews all the time because of what their, uh, what their makeup, their, their, what they were like, that they were different than them and uh, lesser in their minds. And Samar this Samaritan and, all, and Samaritans were outcasts already, and Jesus had a habit of encountering them to show his disciples something significant. And as he walked into this town, the unclean lepers approach him, acknowledging his power, his reputation, 
his position and his loving nature. And they did that in four words. I think it's four. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Six words. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. In one small sentence, one phrase, they acknowledged they acknowledged everything they needed to acknowledge about this Savior. Number one, he's Jesus. He has a reputation. They knew his name just simply because he walked into their presence. They knew what he could do. And then they say, Master, Master, Master. They acknowledged his position. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords, worthy of all praise. They acknowledged he had the power to do something for them. Where they could not get it on their own, he could. Where they couldn't reach out and grab it with their best uh, efforts, Jesus could get it for them. Where they could not heal themselves, Jesus could. And we learned something from these 10 men and their declaration that Jesus was the master and he could give them mercy. We recognize and understand in our own lives that there is no other place from which we can find the deepest needs we have satisfied but in Jesus Christ. Friends, no matter what you came into this room wanting or desiring or needing, it all pales in comparison to who Jesus is. It all pales in comparison to what he can do for you in your life. And he may heal you, he may help you with the ailments that you have, but at the end of the day, that is not our greatest reward. Our greatest reward is to have him and for him to have us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. That should be all of our cry. That should be what we understand in our own lives. We must ask this question of ourselves. Do we want something from God? Or do we want God in the something? Do we want something from God? Merely something. That's all. We just want something from God. Or do we want God in the something? That is what leads to a grateful heart. That's what leads to faith. That was the differentiator between the ten the other nine, and this one. The second thing we see is that God provides a way. In this story and in every situation, God provided a way and provides a way. Now, it may not be our way. It may not be our way. Oftentimes, it's not. Because our way is an infallible, is, is not infallible. Our way is fallible. It, it is faulty. Our way is not the best way, but Christ's way is. His way and His ways are perfect. And He knows things that we don't know, and He gives us gifts that are beyond what we could even ask for. But He provided a way, and He provides a way. Jesus tells them to go to the priest, which was actually... The provided way God already had. If someone were, uh, particularly a Jew, if they were in a place of skin disease, we see this in Leviticus uh, chapters 13 and 14, that they were to go present themselves to the priest. 
The priest would determine what their skin uh, cancer or sin, skin disease was like, and if it met certain markers, they could be declared clean by the priest. And after seven days, if they weren't clean, they could come back again. And there was this provision, right? So it was a way that God already provided. So Jesus says, go and do that. Do the thing that you're supposed to do. And we only know, we only know the... Um, we only know that there was a Samaritan. We can assume that there were Jews and maybe other Gentiles. We don't know, but Jesus tells them all, go to the priest. There was a provision for people to find healing, to be healed, to be uh, declared clean. And there was a way for them to go and be anointed with oil and ultimately be uh, uh, sacrifices be made for them to have their sin atoned for as well. When Jesus said that simple phrase, phrase, go to the priest, present yourself to him, he's saying all that at once. Go, be healed, be cleansed, be declared clean, and find forgiveness for your sin, find salvation, find atonement. Now when they went, they were healed and on their way, Jesus healed them. Friends, can I say, if you're stricken with something that only God can cleanse, only God can heal, only God can intervene, go to him. Walk in faith that he's the only one that can provide the way out, that he's the only one that can provide the thing that you need, even the atonement of your sin was purchased by Jesus. God has provided a way for you. Remember, it may not be our way. It may not be the answer we want, but at the end of the day, God is a God who provides. The third thing that we see is everyone has a want. Everyone wants something. God has provided a way. And when people approach it, many are ungrateful. Many lack gratitude. We know this. We see it all the time in our own lives. It's a, it's a trait and a difficulty even to instill gratitude in your own kids. We live in a world that seems to uh, parade entitlement around like it's a badge of honor. We don't understand the depths of the things that we have gone through, the things that we need, our affluence in our society stifles gratitude, I think. So here's where it gets real. Ten guys are healed. One guy comes back. One guy did what he was supposed to do. One guy turned back acknowledging where his healing came from. The, the others just walked along on their merry way. Perhaps they were going to the priest. Perhaps they would still acknowledge that God did it. But this guy turned around. And he said, I got to thank him. He's the only one who could do this. For so long we were waiting. And he's the one that came. And he's the one that accomplished it for me. You see, everyone wants Jesus to do something for them. But who are the ones ready to acknowledge that it was him who did it? All we have is a gift from God. And we cannot come to him like he owes us something. He owes us nothing. He gives when we don't deserve. 
He sacrifices when we have not sacrificed ourselves. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Have you ever gotten a gift that just left you baffled? Someone gave you something and there was no way in, your, in the world that you could pay that back to them. Like, you're just, you're shook. You don't even know what to say. Have you ever had a moment like that? With Jesus, it's like that times infinity. Yet I think we look at Jesus flippantly and think, well, he owes it to us. We're his children. He brought us into this world. We need it. (coughs) And I would say to you, that's the wrong posture to have. Just as if someone gave us a gift immeasurable and would put us in the stupor of like how, I, I, I don't know what to say. Jesus has done that times infinity for you. All the other guys kept on walking. We can understand from this passage and the context around it that at least some of them were Jews. Because Jesus points out, where are the others? Weren't there nine, or, or aren't there nine other guys? But the Samaritan's the only one that came back. Why did Jesus point that out? Number one, he pointed it out to show that faith is not relegated to a type of person. It's not relegated to the look of a person. It's not relegated to someone who you think should have faith. Faith is something that can be given to anyone. Oftentimes, it's the, the, the overlooked in society. It's the ones that have been hurt the most and can have the greatest faith because they understand the gift. And Jesus points that out. The lone Samaritan was the one with the most gratitude. Faith sometimes comes from the most unexpected places and the most unexpected people in our eyes and in our minds. The final thing that we see, and this will help us transition to our um, communion service in just a moment. We must have faith in God. Everyone wants something. God's provided a way. Many of us lack gratitude, and we must have faith in God. We must have faith. You must have faith in God. I must have faith in God. Here's a Samaritan who didn't take the healing for granted. Sometimes we learn the best lessons from the people that look the least like us. The Samaritan gave glory to God. And that was surprising. Jesus was teaching something to his Jewish disciples. You want increased faith? You want to grow in your faith? And he spoke in that passage just before of the faith of a mustard seed. You want increased faith? Do the stuff you're supposed to do. Even a Samaritan can do it, is what he's saying. Even tiny mustard seed faith will accomplish amazing things. So we asked the question at the beginning, what did you come today wanting or needing? And how do we respond to the goodness of Jesus?
we take a lesson from a Samaritan who gave glory to him out of faith. Look what Jesus says to him. And Jesus said, were the not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. We respond because we realize that God is the prize. Jesus is the prize. Jesus is the reward, not the healing. That was the difference between the, the other nine and this one. This one realized he's the object of my praise. He's the one worthy of my honor and glory. He's the one to come and bow down at his feet and worship him because of what he has done. And Jesus said, that faith has saved you. A theologian, Dan Garland, says this, true Christians, therefore, experience God's grace intensely and allow their gratitude for what God has done for them in Christ to shape their whole lives. That is faith. That is faith. So, friends, today, we have an opportunity to let our gratitude shape our worship, to shape our lives, to impact what we do, how we respond to Jesus. Our faith is us experiencing God's grace intensely and allowing it to shape our lives. In just a moment, we're going to share something we share once a month here. Our concern in not doing it enough is that it doesn't, it's not as impactful when we do take the Lord's Supper. Our concern in doing it too often, so we're trying to balance that, but our concern in doing it too often is it just becomes flippant and just another religious act to do. But this is a vivid picture of what our faith can be. This is a vivid picture of our worship and response to Jesus and what he's done. His body broken, his blood spilled for you to accomplish your forgiveness, your atonement, the washing away of your sins, to accomplish your spiritual healing. So in just a moment, I pray that you begin preparing your hearts now. In just a moment, as we sip a tiny little cup of juice and we eat this little stale funny tasting cracker that it wouldn't just be something we always do but it would be impactful to us to help us to remember what Christ has done that we would do this shaped by the intense grace of God in our life and we would realize or recognize that this expression of that love for him in remembrance of what he's done is an expression of our faith, our belief, our trust in Him, and our gratitude. My prayer is that today, through this vivid experience, and through this service, that we walk out of this place with grateful faith, grateful faith in who God is. That we wouldn't just want God 
to do something, but we would want God in the something. That He would be the object of our worship and praise today and every day until we meet again. Let's pray. And as we pray, I'm going to ask my uh, 